conversations I have with myself in the mirror. Hey, y'all, listen. This episode is going to talk about how I became very performance-driven. If you heard the last episode, I talked about the attention and the affirmation that I really desired from my father as I got older. And what ended up happening was I found this gift that I had where I could get behind a microphone on stage and I could say a poem out loud and people loved it. I remember the first time it was in high school. I got on I got on stage. It was my it was my first time getting in front of people and sharing what I had written because I was in this class called Polaris, which was a creative writing class. And I got on stage and I wrote this poem called Grown Man Little Boy. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't I don't even know. Okay. I wrote it. And we were on our way to college. So we were in high school and we were on our way to college. I hadn't even been in a real relationship yet. I just, I wrote this poem and it was just like, you know, grown men open doors and boys, they pull out chairs where you fall on the floor. And like, I was just, I can't even remember. I don't even know if those were the words, but I promise you it was just me comparing grown men and little boys in a poem. And I remember one of my classmates, she was like, I want to hang this on my wall in my college dorm. And I was like, really? I had got a standing ovation, a round of applause from everybody. They loved it. And it was pretty, um, it was pretty surreal for me. It was the first time that I also felt like people noticed me. And it was attention given to me for something I love doing. So just to give you a synopsis, I was really bad in English because of the rules. I was I was okay in journalism because I was there. She could see the potential there, but there were still rules there too, where I had to weave a story together centered around, you know, comment, centered around what someone shared. And it was just really hard. But when I got into creative writing class, there was no limits. There was no English rules. I could take a word and I can redefine it. I could um, misspell a word and and use it to be sarcastic in my poetry. Um, I, there was just no rules. And I loved it so much. And I, and I believe that's what drew me into writing creatively. So after that experience, I remember... I was in a youth group and I had wrote another poem that most people knew me at by, which was MySpace. <laughs> MySpace is this empty space inside of me where I have 1,061 friends that don't even acknowledge me. I wrote that poem and it was, it, it's, it's funny to me today, but it was so timely for that time because it was giving this story of how we have allowed social media to make us believe that we are important based off of the number of friends that we were 
that were following us. And I wrote that poem. And what I was doing at the time, I was building my relationship with God because I was in a youth group and I was in the church. And I was weaving him in there towards the end, making it known that God was the one applause, was the one who you should always know loved you and knows you better than your Facebook friends. And so I, I did that always at the end because there was always this, I want to draw you in and then I want to give you a gift. And so that was the goal. Creative writing for me was all about hitting the five senses. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you taste it? Can you feel it? Um, can you smell it? Like, I, that was always the goal every time I wrote. I wanted people to come in the kitchen and smell the food. I wanted people to see um, if they close their eyes and they hear me speak. Just, just see what I've created. I wanted people to um, hear the tone in my voice or the sarcasm, you know, the way I would go up and then come back down, the way I would flow and the whispering and the loudness, the authority and the boldness and the power. I wanted people to hear all of those things in my spoken word and I believe I, I succeeded in that. I do. I believe I definitely succeeded in that. It was a beautiful way for me to express myself. And a lot of those poems were conversations I had with myself in the mirror. They were written from my own experiences. And then I would still take journalism in there because journalism was always telling a story about someone else. So I sometimes didn't always tell a story about myself. I would tell a story about someone else as well and put them into my poem. Um, I think a lot of guys were probably scared of me because <laughs> I'm really big on being transparent and sharing my life experiences. And so I think a lot of guys would probably say, yeah, she, uh, I think that poem was about me, but it probably won't about you. It was probably about another guy and y'all just did the same thing. So, you know, it's just, you never knew, um, because I never had to tell you the character. I never had to tell you who it was. I just had to share the experience. Um, and so that was pretty cool. <clears throat> um, so performance driven where did that start when you start getting round a round of applause from the audience um when you start when people start noticing you because of what you do um it becomes something then that you utilize and that you feel like you're finally getting the attention you deserve <clears throat> and i knew that that stemmed from me just wanting attention from my father. I became very performance driven because I knew I had something that was great 
and I wanted to then put it out there for the world to see. So I started going, I started going beyond just church. I started going into open mic nights and I remember leaving my job. I worked at um, a furniture company, left my job that was probably at nine o'clock at night and zipped to a spot where I could showcase my poem. And I would talk about God still. I utilize all the poems I wrote, had wrote for the church. And they would, you know, they would laugh and they would be like, you're just, but you're super dope. You know, I may not agree on everything you're saying, but you're still super dope. And so I found that even though I was um, known at that time as a Christian spoken word artist, I could still go into every room and deliver my spoken word and I would be accepted there. The goal at the time was God because there was a relationship that I had built with him in my poetry and in my spoken word. But there was also a need to feel like I had to become something and someone else and that led me down a path of now being confident in myself and telling God I didn't need him. I didn't need, I didn't need his help. And, you know, if, if I can be honest, that was probably the first time that I felt like I could say that out loud. Like I didn't need God to do what I, to do what I was doing. And in actuality, I was wrong. All the power and the boldness of what I did came from my relationship with God. And so the moment I, I took God out of it and I thought that I, and I thought I got this, I felt like everything was shifting and it wasn't poetry anymore. It was now me trying to put on a performance. It was now me trying to manipulate words together. It was now me trying to, um, you know, um, pretend like I knew what I was doing, that I was the best. I was operating in a lot of pride. Um, and I remember um, one time I, I didn't feel like, you know, God was with me on stage like we're normally like, you know, that normal feeling. And I was like, what in the world? And I remember God telling me to let go of spoken word. And I was like, I can't let it go. You know, I, I, you know, I love it. It's, it's, it's my, it's my safe place. It's where I can write. It's where I can share my story. It's where I don't want to let it go. It's where I'm getting attention. It's where people are knowing who I am. Spoken word had became an idol. And it stemmed from a wound where the attention that I was trying to get from it really had nothing to do with people giving me attention really didn't. They loved what I did. They didn't know who I was. And the real idea was that it was simply because I still longed for the affirmation, the attention from my father. That little girl was still in there and I didn't want to give it up until eventually 
everything slowed down. I didn't get called anymore for people who wanted a spoken word artist. Um, I tried to make it out of career. I tried to use it to travel with and just was not working out. And I had just finally given it up. And God told me this. He said a spoken word was a prerequisite of you learning how to open up your mouth and learning how to embrace the stage and learning how to be on a microphone and more importantly learning how to be in tune with me because I had gotten to the point in my spoken word that I had no longer wrote down things. I was actually coming up with things on the spot. And people were, people, I was shocking myself, but I knew it was God. And people were like, oh my God, you like, you know. And so I realized that it wasn't spoken word that I was always a voice. But a voice without God is a person who is performance driven, can become manipulative and can say whatever they want and, and you can draw audience in in that way. And so even with this podcast, I'm learning to not be perfect in my speech, to say um and be okay with that, to lean on God to get these words across, thinking that I sound completely crazy because I want to stay on topic and just all the things that you think about when you're performing, you know, if I cough, if I, if I do anything, it's like, you like, oh, you got to do it all over again because you want to be the best speaker ever. I wanted to be the best poet ever, but I think the thing that I'm realizing is if I don't have God in it, if God's not in what I do, if God's not there if it becomes performance driven, if it becomes me now manipulating an audience because I know how to speak, I know how to get in front of an audience, I know what to do, I know how to put on a show, I know how to become somebody I am not, then it is self-serving, self-seeking, and I have idolized the gift that God has given me. And I don't, I don't want to do that. So, this podcast is pretty special because here I am raw, hey, I, like no makeup. Um, you may be seeing this, you may be hearing this, and I'm saying um, and I'm and I'm pausing, and I'm nervous, and I don't know, um, you know, if I'm making sense at all to people, but I'm doing it, and I'm just showing up in with God in this. Um, and so um, I remember after um, my father passed away, I realized that I had never really died to performance driven. Like I, I, it had turned into now that I felt like I had to work so hard to prove myself to God. I had to work. I had to, when he gave me Curse Broken, I had to work at it. I have to do all these things. And, and when he gave me this, I had to work. And it was almost like this pharaoh mentality. This pharaoh, you know, when I say pharaoh mentality, it's the mentality that, that the Israelites had when pharaoh was over them. They had this mentality of work, 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 work. I gotta, it's almost work until I die. I gotta, he, cause he worked them to the bone. So when God came into their lives and he led them out and Moses had given them a word, they couldn't really believe it because 
it didn't sound like what they, it didn't sound true. You know, when you've been underneath somebody who's worked you to the bone, it's like, what? And what happened was these people were just, just walking and they were getting what they needed. And all they had to do was ask for water if they were thirsty and ask for food if they were hungry, but they weren't living in the place of that, that, that labor where Pharaoh had worked them hard. They were walking with God. They were walking in relationship with him. They were walking in and, and sharing what they needed. They were walking. And a lot of times they murmured and they complained on that walk, right? And if you know the story, a generation died off and then the new generation finally went to the promised land. But what I'm sharing with you is there are times where we treat God as if he's this dictator and this Pharaoh and that we have to work so hard to seek the approval of being of him loving us of him choosing us and and um and knowing and then when the word tells us there's nothing you can do you know there was nothing you could do for him to send his son down across for you, you did, there's nothing you can do to get his love it's undeserving and so you work in you're working hard at it and it's like you got it you know you're working hard at this relationship but he has it with you and so i realized that when my father passed away there was this thing that happened and occurred that's, that died. It was me no longer seeking to, to, I could no longer seek to get the affirmation I needed from him. There was nothing there because he wasn't there anymore. So the very thing that caused me to perform had now had, had passed away. And so now I was stuck and I was just like, and that's when God revealed to me, I didn't need to perform for him. I didn't need to to work hard and, and make him believe that I was, I was like, choose me. He said, you're already chosen. You're already wanted. I, I already love you. I already have this plan for you. I I don't need you to, to, to show me anything. And I'm just like, what? And I remember last year, this season of rest. It was the hardest season of my life because I felt like if I rested, I would miss it. If I rested, I, I, people wouldn't know me anymore. If I rested, I would lose this. If I rested, I would, and it was just like, just rest. And I was resting and grieving and resting and grieving. And it was a fight. It's amazing what will happen when somebody you love passes away. You got... I'm, my dad always told me he was proud of me in his own way. But I was still trying to win something from him, maybe, you know, something. And um, I realized that with God, my father in heaven, I didn't have to do that. So it was, a, you know, being performance driven, we operate out of wounded areas in our lives to wanting to be accepted and just operate and, and the moment that the thing that dies that created that in you you no longer you you found you feel a shift happening and um that's what happened so i hope that you have a conversation with yourself in the mirror and ask yourself the question of where is the wound at that's causing me to feel like i have to work and labor so hard to win the attention or to to feel loved or to feel chosen by God 
or to seek that from a human being without knowing that God loves you and that God has chosen you and that he wants you, that he sent his son to die on the cross for, for your sins and your, your iniquities and all the curses. And, and so I don't have to perform for God. I felt like I had to perform for my dad to get his attention, the attention I desired, you know, the whole time. But even with him, he showed he loved me in his own way. But I had broken free from that when he passed on and it was revealed to me. And so that wounded area began to heal. And so even right now, as I'm doing this podcast, this is not a performance. This is real. You're going to hear me cry. You're going to hear me say, um, and and, I'm going to cough, I'm going to sneeze, <laughs> I'm going to clear my throat, and I'm not going to edit it. Because if it's uncensored, if it's uncut, if it's transparent, then it's all of that. <clears throat> and um, I just want to be in that space right now. Because I've been in the space so long of trying to chop and edit and clean up and clear my, you know, just clear my skin and and make myself look smaller and, you know, the filters and all this, all the things. But whatever I see in that mirror is what I see. And, and, and I want you to be okay with what you see in the mirror too. You know, even my hair a little right here out of place. If you're watching, you can see this, but if you're not watching, you can't see it. So, all right. Conversation with myself in the mirror. What conversation are you having with yourself in the mirror today? Episode two. <laughs>